0: Well, this will be sermon number five as we look at marks of a Christian. And today we're looking at the mark of love. And we heard all about it here in 1 Corinthians 13th chapter. And uh, sadly, this is one of those marks that seems to be leaving Our nation, if you just look around, and we're going to be going through that. Back in 1971, Wilbur Reese wrote this poem that I'd like to begin with. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. Not enough to take control of my life. I want just enough to equal a cup of warm milk, just enough to ease some of the pain from my guilt. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I would like to find a love that is pocket-sized. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. Not enough to change my heart. I can only stand just enough to take to church when I have time. Just enough to equal a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, but not a new birth. I would like to purchase a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. If it doesn't work, I would like to get my money back. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. I would like to hide some for a rainy day. Not enough for people to see a change in me. Not enough to impose any responsibility. Just enough to make Folks think I am okay. Could I just get $3 worth of God, please? Well, according to what the Apostle Paul told us and what the Bible tells us, the answer is no. You can't get just $3 worth of God. It's all or nothing. You don't just take some of what he has to offer. You have to take the whole thing. In talking about love, Paul makes it clear that it is the most important thing of all. It's more important than having great gifts of speech or spiritual gifts or uh, have great faith and great commitment, all of those things are nothing if we do not have love. And then at the close, he says, faith, hope, and love. Now abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. The passage that we read this morning, 1 Corinthians 13, everybody just loves it. If you just say 1 Corinthians 13, someone is going to say, oh, I love that passage. Reminds me of a little girl who was invited for dinner at the home of her first grade friend. The vegetable was buttered broccoli, and the mother asked if she liked it. Oh, yes, the child replied politely, I love it. But when the bowl of broccoli was passed, she declined to take any. And the hostess said, I thought you said you loved broccoli. And the girl replied sweetly, oh, yes, ma'am, I do. But not enough to eat it. (laughs) I'm afraid that when it comes to 1 Corinthians, the chapter 13, Uh, that people love it like that little girl loved broccoli. They love it. They love the way it sounds, but not enough to practice it. If they did, we'd be living in a different world today than we're living in. Uh, I was thinking about it. It's kind of like they like it and they love it like we would love an Italian opera. It sounds really good, but we have no idea what's being said or sung, do we? And all these people that say they just love 1 Corinthians 13, I don't think that they have really looked at the demands that 1 Corinthians 13 makes on each and every one of us. If so, we would be so under conviction I try never to preach directly to one person. I try not to have just one person in mind when I'm preaching and whatever I'm preparing for my sermon. But that doesn't mean it might not apply to you. And so this morning, let me just say, if the shoe fits wear it, but I'm not preaching to you. Okay. I can remember one time I was preaching and there was a guy sitting out in the congregation. A church member never came to church and he was sitting out there and he was one of the meanest, most cantankerous people you ever saw. And here he was first time he had darkened the door of the church. I had met him but never in church. And I realized that everything I was saying just precisely fit everything I'd ever heard about this particular man. And so I wound up operating on two levels. I don't know if you've ever done that. I'm sure you have, where I was preaching and going on But in the back of my head, in the back of my heart, I was saying, oh, Lord, please don't let him hear what I'm saying. Oh, Lord, please don't let him be offended if he hears it. Oh, Lord, please just stick your fingers in his ears. And uh, and I was doing that in the background all the time. I was just going on preaching. And so I could actually hear myself while I was praying in the back of my heart. And so I uh, wound up. When it was all over and I was standing at the back shaking hands, this guy was coming up and I just braced myself for what was going to come. And he grabbed my hand and he grinned and he grabbed it real hard and he shook and he says, boy, preacher, you just really let him have it this morning, didn't you? (laughs) And I'm afraid that there are a lot of people when they hear my sermons, they hear, and they not just my sermons, sermons all over the place. They hear them and they're thinking about how they apply to everybody else in their family, to everybody else around them, to one particular person. Oh, yeah, if that person be more loving than, yeah, yeah. If this person, and they never apply it to themselves. The word of God is to be like a mirror. And my prayer this morning is that his word will be a mirror to us and that we will see ourselves and not just others as we look into his word this morning. Paul enumerates 15 characteristics of love to show how love acts and what it looks like in everyday life. A New Testament Testament, definition of agape is caring, self sacrificing commitment, which shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross is the epitome, the embodiment of this kind of love, and a whole series of sermons could easily be preached on each one of these 15 qualities, but I just want to take them briefly today because we really know what they mean, and we know if we're really practicing them. Now, let me go ahead and back up and say that at the end of this chapter, Paul says something very important. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became an adult, I did away with foolish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Sometimes people see conflict in Scripture that's not really there, and this is one of the places where you can see it. Here Paul says, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Now then, in Matthew the 18th chapter whenever the disciples were, he heard them arguing among themselves about who was going to be the greatest. He said, truly I say to you, oh, and let me tell you this. He, there's a little kid there and he called this little child to him and the little child just came and it says, he set the child before them. and says, truly I say to you, unless you are converted, That means changed, transformed, and become like children. You will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so here Jesus lifts up a child. There's a difference between being childish and childlike. If you want to know what childish is like, just take 1 Corinthians 13 and reverse it. Childishness is being jealous, is being stingy, is being uh, self-centered. You know, you can go down the list. And so you see, there's not a difference between what Jesus is saying and what Paul is saying. What both of them are telling us and what the whole Bible tells us is that love, humility, and caring about other people is one of the signs of true Christian maturity. It's not childishness to be loving and to be humble before others it takes a real man to do that look at jesus he had to be tough to go through what he went through and he did it out of love for each one of us and the jesus in another place where he's teaching He talks about how God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust, the sinners and the saints. He treats us all the same. He loves us all the same. And at the same time he's doing that he's having faith in the sinners. He's having hope for the sinners. And he's loving the sinners. And he treats them the same. And he calls us to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. And what he's talking about is becoming perfect in love, which is one of the great tenets of the United Methodist Church, that we are to be moving on toward perfection. That's being not where you become, where you make no mistakes, but where you begin to see people as God sees them, and love them the way he loves them. That being the kid, then that with that preface, I just want to go through this list and ask I ask you to search your hearts in the presence of God's word today as I go through them. Love is patient. Love is kind. We're not seeing a lot of kindness around us anymore. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. That means love is not rude. Love does not seek its own. doesn't have to have its own way. Love is not provoked. That means love isn't short-tempered, I like the way I read one translation says love isn't touchy. And I think that's a good if you're touchy, you have some growing to do. And let me tell you, I know what that's like. But the thing is, many times, let me say, if you're touchy, it's because your emotional plate is full. You're carrying a load of pain or frustration of some sort. And the Lord wants to help you with that so you won't have to be touchy anymore all these things nearly every one of them there is if you suffer from the opposite of what is being said here the lord has healing for your heart to help you become more like him love does not take into account a wrong suffered number 10 and 11 Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Now, this word bears all things can mean two different things. It can mean to uh, bear up under, to carry a load. And it can also mean to protect by covering you know, we're told that love covers a multitude of sins. God, in his love, has covered our sins with the precious blood of Jesus. And so I think whenever it says, bears all things here, it means that in that context, it means that it uh, protects now, let me explain this a little bit more. Love doesn't broadcast its problems to others. Love doesn't put down others with jokes or sarcasm or put downs. Love defends the character of another person as much as possible within the realm of truth Love won't lie about weaknesses, but neither will it deliberately expose and emphasize them. Let's face it, often love covers and protects others from you, that if it wasn't for your love, you'd get them. Let's just face it, okay? In fact, Billy Graham's wife is a perfect example of this. She was asked one time if she ever thought about divorcing her husband. And she thought about it and says, no, divorce, never thought about divorcing him. I did feel like killing him a few times. But you see, love covered Billy Graham. And so she didn't act out on it. Love protects. Number 13, love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things think of what the lord endures from us love endures all things you know whenever i was called into the ministry i knew everything the passage was going to be required of me and i knew that if i tried to practice this i'd probably get hurt it's risky You risk being hurt when you love the way that God tells us to love. And I put up walls to keep out people because people caused pain. And so I told the Lord, I said, Lord, if I do that, if I stick my neck out, somebody's going to whack it. I'm going to get hurt. He said, yeah, I know. And you could tell even in his voice in my heart. He was speaking from experience, and then he said, but you know, 11 out of 12 ain't bad. Look at all the people he poured himself out for and into, and yes, some of them hurt him. He poured himself deeply into 12 men, and one of them betrayed him and put him on the cross, but it was worth it, and God used what that... The betrayer put him through for his glory. And you can count on the same thing happening when you really put this stuff into practice. Yes, you might get hurt, but if you're not willing to risk getting hurt, then you're not willing to take up your cross daily and follow him. So don't call yourself a follower of Christ if you're not willing to risk it. Because he said, if anyone would follow me, they must take up their cross daily and follow me. And this is what he's calling us to, folks. He's calling us to not be impatient. He's calling us to be patient. He's calling us to be kind. He's calling us to not be jealous. He's calling us to quit bragging and being arrogant, to quit being rude to other people, including strangers, including people in the other political party, whichever side it might be. He's calling us all to that. And no matter what the rest of the world does, We are supposed to be following him. And as the old song says, if none go with me, I still will follow. That's the point we have to come to. Now abide these three faith, hope and love. And the greatest, that means the most important, the one that's got to be paid attention to is love. I saw a great example of this the other day, uh, last Saturday, a little two-year-old boy named Jude, his last name is Sasty, S-A-S-F-Y. He was at a music concert in Atlanta, Georgia, with his parents. And it was time for him to leave. And I'm so glad somebody fil- filmed this. Whenever it was time to leave the concert, His mom just said, "Okay, Jude, it's time to go. Time to say bye bye. And he didn't complain. He he just got up and he walked over to the people next to him and he gave them a hug. And then he walked over to another one and gave him a hug. And he hugged his way all the way out of that park. People that he missed came up to him to get their hug. I counted 14 hugs in the video and he wasn't out of the park yet. That demonstrates Christian maturity the way that we grown-ups need to be. We need to love our way out of the park. Every stranger that we come across, we ought to hug them in our hearts instead of deciding which side of the fence they're on or what they're like or whatever. We're called to be a different sort of people. We're called to be like little Jude. As Jesus said, unless you become converted and like a little child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And you may be wondering, how can I do that? I've done things differently so long And these things are habits. Yes, they are. Habits can be changed. There was a woman that came into Dr. Crane, came into his office just full of hatred toward her husband. And she said, I not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even." Before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has hurt me. And Dr. Crane had a suggestion for her, and it was really ingenious and devious, it sounds like. He said, well, I'll tell you what you do. Let's do it this way. You go home and you act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise Him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be as kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please Him. Make Him believe you love Him. And then after you've convinced Him of your undying love and that you cannot live without Him, Then drop the bomb. Tell him you're getting a divorce. That will really hurt him. And with revenge in her eyes, she smiled and exclaimed, Beautiful. Beautiful. Will he ever be surprised? And she did it with enthusiasm acting as if for two months she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. And then when she didn't return to his office, Dr. Crane called her. He said, are you ready now to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she exclaimed, never. I discovered I really do love him. So how do you do it? You just start. And if if you just have to act as if, then you just act as if. In counseling, there's a phrase for that. It's called fake it till you make it. And the thing is, as you change your actions, your feelings will follow. And so I want to encourage you, if you have been a person who has not been one that fits this description. Start when you leave here today faking it till you make it, and I promise it won't be long before you'll be like little Jude. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.